Friday afternoon, I'd be on the road driving to the trailhead. Monday morning, I'd be back at work again, utilizing every little minute of free time. But I was just like on this high of being able to climb Mount Hood. The conditions were terrible, like whiteout conditions. We did get in a very sticky situation. I've definitely been around people who are very focused on getting the content and then lose the magic of being on a camping trip. So I definitely don't want to fall into that. I did run 110 kilometer race in Whistler, British Columbia. I was like sprinting downhill and I sprained my ankle. And oh. the whole time I was like, oh my God. Like if you want to find out what happens next, tune into this episode of On The Rise, a podcast series where we tell the stories of creatives, athletes, and entrepreneurs like my friend, Michelle. She loves the outdoors, is a mountain enthusiast, has run an ultra marathon and competed in Ironman triathlons, all while living out of a van and working full-time at Apple. But most importantly, she's a wonderful human being who wants to use her voice to show all of us that you don't have to be a professional athlete or a full-time adventurer in order to be able to enjoy the great outdoors. Let's get started. Thanks for the intro. As Abe mentioned, I work at Apple, um, but I think my passions really lie in just uh, living an active lifestyle and basically doing anything that makes me happy. And for me, it's like being in the mountains, climbing or skiing, um, trail running, as long as I'm surrounded by these beautiful views in the mountains, I would say that that's kind of where my passions lie. Yeah, I was hoping you can just tell us about like a bit of your upbringing, your childhood and how that ultimately led you to be really into mountains. Like for me, I just said like when we, were, when we weren't recording, I'm really into outdoor sports as well. But growing up, I, I grew up in like the swamplands of Northern Virginia. So for me, it didn't really, I don't think it really started kicking off until I started going to school in Northern California. So I'm just curious what that arc looks like for you. I grew up in San Diego, um, but I lived in Long Island, New York for a little bit. Um, and so they had a bunch of nature camps there, which was really fun. And then we moved back to San Diego. So growing up, my parents uh, took us out camping a lot. It was all car camping. And we'd go on like those mini one to two mile hikes at different national parks. And I'd always look up, up at the ridgeline and be like, Dad, like I want to hike up there one day and I want to camp out there. And I'd be like, someday you'll do that. As I grew up, like in college, when you, when you start having like your own income, you have all this free time and then you get a car and all of a sudden you have all this freedom. Um, I started exploring more trails and um, basically doing more than just the car camping and like, like, like learning what backpacking researching trails and getting out there, getting permits, all of that was like such a fun learning experience. And um, that's kind of how I got into all of that. It's just like, this, it was like, it opened a whole new world for me. I owe a lot of it to my parents taking us to a bunch of national parks as a kid. They sent me to like nature camps where we learned about like the ecosystem and all of that. I really owe a lot of that to my upbringing. But I wouldn't say that that's like a necessity for being into like the outdoors because my sister had the same upbringing and she's like the complete opposite of me. You ask her to wake up early and go on a sunrise hike and she's like, no, thanks. You know, she's very like, very into like fashion and trends and she lives in New York City. Yeah, I wouldn't say that like camping and everything is a requirement for being into the outdoors. I always think it's funny how we had the same childhood, but ended up like going in two separate directions. So growing up, it sounds like you're going outside a lot. You're getting more into nature. Now you're like outside of work, you're very much spending all your time outside. What did you want to do as a kid as for, for work? Was there something also outdoors? 
No, it's funny that you asked that. Um, I definitely wanted to be a nature photographer. Like for the longest time, I had Asian parents and they were like, no, you're not going to be a photographer growing up. They sent me to like photography classes to explore my hobby, but I was like convinced that I would be this like National Geographic photographer. That's where I thought I was going to go. And they wanted me to be like a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. But I really liked taking photos. And that's kind of how I got into like using social media to show people the outdoors in all these beautiful places the world has to offer. So in a way, like I didn't become a photographer, but I definitely like using photography to share my experiences. So I know you're like a brand ambassador for like Arcteryx, Trail Butter, Drink Almond Tea, all these cool brands and things that I would love to get free gear from and to bash me <laughs> as a person as well. At what point did that start to stack up for you? At what point did you realize that your adventures and your photography also lent itself well to working with these other big outdoor brands? It started with an ultralight backpacking company, Gossamer Gear. would send them photos of me using their products and show them all the awesome places I was taking their tent, which weighs like less than two pounds, um, super small and compact. I was doing a lot of these adventures on my own and I had to carry everything in my pack. So I was like in love with this ultralight backpack because it weighed almost nothing and I could carry all the weight without like splitting weight with other people that I was um, hiking with. So. I was sending them a lot of the photos and then we started working together. It sounds like you were able to reach out like, hey, I'm using your gear. It's helping me a yeah. bunch. What caused you to do that? So it's more like tagging them in photos and then, yeah, reaching out and being like, hey, like, um, here's some photos, you know, like, and then they reached out wanting to see if I wanted to be an ambassador and we did wow. a few phone calls and kind of led one thing led to another. And then we started working together. Um, and after that, um, just started getting reached out to by other brands. And, and it was always brands that I genuinely believed in. And, and I definitely have seen accounts where it's just like they're promoting all, all different brands and they don't actually use it. Um, but these were like brands that I truly believe in. And um, like I initially started my Instagram to promote like the pictures that I was taking just because yeah. I really like I thought I was going to these beautiful places and I wanted to share it with others. And because it was just like my side thing of like, oh, I like photography. I'm not, I wouldn't say like I'm a professional photographer. I just use my iPhone for everything. Um, I don't, definitely don't have a DSLR or a fancy camera. I just created an account. And then, yeah, I started using those ultralight backpacks and tents and tagging the brands I was using. And after that, um, they started reaching out to see if they could share my photos. And yeah, just went off from there. Can you tell us a bit about where to be? Like from a geography and just like physical standpoint, Abe was telling me how you live in your van. And then before we started, you said, like, you're not actually in a van right now. And, like, I don't have a lease right now, so I'm trying to figure out where to be. I just spent the last two years bouncing around. And it's just, like, a question that I think about very frequently. And it's, like, such an important question as well. During the pandemic, I, I was driving, like, a small little car, like, sporty car. And I did take it, like, for a month and a half on the road. I just, like, drove around to all these areas. and But then, yeah, I've... I always wanted to like get a van and build it out and because I just love being on the road and I realized that I was paying tons of money for rent and yet I was never home. Like I'd be at work Monday through Friday and then on the weekends I'd be traveling. And so I was paying like thousands of dollars a month to, yep. for a place I wasn't really even using. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am right now. Cause I still don't know like where I want to end up. I mean, when you, when you look on Redfin and you're like, wow, these places are like, 800,000 to like a million over over a million dollars. I just can't stomach mm -hmm. paying a million dollars for a place that I don't know if I want to live in 24 seven. 
Yeah. How far in advance do you try to know where you're going to be? Like for the for a while, I only knew where I was going to be for the next two three months out. So then, oh, when that's that, definitely yeah. <laughs> yeah, when that one month comes around, you're like time to think about where to be, and then how do you figure out like when to start thinking about it? For me, I've just been very fortunate where I have friends in all the different areas that I've been traveling to. But then it's also like Airbnbs are super easy to book ahead of time. So I don't really plan too far in advance. It's definitely like I felt like I was living my life week by week. Um, and that's why just being so mobile in a van was really helpful. Like you didn't have to like plan ahead. You could literally say in two months I could be in a different state or I can be in the same state. Yeah. Nowadays it's more like, okay, seasonal, like where do I want to be right now? My my objectives are like snow related. So I want to be like closer to the mountains and kind of flocking to wherever um, my outdoor goals are at the time is how, what drives me, I guess. How do you handle food? <laughs> how do you handle showering in the bathroom when your home is just the car and your car is your home? Yeah, I, I feel like I definitely the, the toilet one a lot. And it was like my parents' first question too, like not to go on a super big tangent, but I was so nervous when I told my parents that I bought a van. <laughs> um, and, but it was like, at first they were like, oh, that's nice. They thought it was just gonna that's be like nice. a side thing. <laughs> yeah, um, but then they realized like, no, I actually want to live in it. And there was this moment where I was, I received this text from them and they were at REI and they had found like a toilet for sale. And they were like, do you want me this? And I was like, oh my God, they understand me. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, to go back to your question. Yeah. So I have, I have a toilet in the van. Otherwise, like there's lots of like public restrooms. Um, when I'm on the road, rest areas are amazing. In terms of cooking, I have um, a propane gas stove that can just fold up and put away and then showering. So in the summertime, it's really great because I have this like giant black um, bag that you basically can just leave in the sun and it heats up while you're on the trail. And then when you get back, it's warm yeah. water and you can shower. Um, but then during the, the winter, it's definitely harder, um, but gym memberships are great. But yeah, in the summertime, it's great because you just use like Alpine lakes. And so yeah, it's not too difficult. <laughs> Do you ever see yourself becoming a full-time adventurer or doing the brand stuff as your full-time versus uh, maintaining a job? I definitely thought about this, but I don't think so because you have like a fine line of having fun still versus going somewhere to take photos of a product. That's why it's also great that I actually believe in the product because I'll just happen to have it with me, take a photo of it, and then they can use it for whatever they need it for. I wouldn't want to do it full-time because I do love being in the outdoors and doing my own thing. And I don't want to feel the pressure of like having to take content I've definitely been around people who are very like focused on getting the content and then you just, you lose the magic of being in on a camping trip or wherever. So I definitely don't want to fall into that. Unfortunately. There's like this classic question. It's like explore versus exploit breath versus depth, but in the context of like your lifestyle and, and what you do, how do you choose what to try versus just keep building on things that you already know that, you know, you love. But then also the other layers on the places, right? So you, you mentioned a few places that you love, like California, Colorado, et cetera. But you also live in a van, which is like maximum freedom. Yeah. How, how connected everything is. So like, how do you yeah, think about... Yeah, you can about... go to Canada, you can go to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like how do you think about that stuff? The nice thing about having a lot of 
uh, hobbies is if the weather sucks for one thing, you can turn around and do another sport. I do just love being in the mountains and whether it's climbing or trail running or hiking, um, it doesn't matter. So it's just kind of like, okay, what what's the weather good for for today? And I'll go and do that. I love hikes because for me, it feels a little, almost a little therapeutic. It's you, it's nature, but I've actually never gone on a solo hike. What what goes on in your mind when you go on an extended solo hike? Like for me, even when I'm hiking with friends, you're, you're chatting, but when you're not, you're like looking at the ground, making sure you don't trip on a stick. Um, so I'm just curious, like mentally, what what's going through your head as you're doing these solo hikes and what do you recommend them to people? I feel like I get that question a lot. They're like, wait, you go on these hikes alone? Like, it's just like mind-blowing to people but I actually really enjoy it it is very therapeutic and you definitely have a lot of like mental processing um but it's also like just absorbing what's around you I guess a lot just goes through my head just like planning life planning but also sometimes yeah you are just absorbing the outdoors and um you don't have to think about it and time just goes by other times like if you're on a really long hike you're just doing the math of how much longer you know like <laughs> and like oh are you going to need to turn around or are you gonna actually be able to summit and make it back before dark so yeah i would say a lot goes through your mind but it is very peaceful because you just get to sort through your own head so yeah i, I like rarely listen when i'm hiking alone i don't listen to music or anything i just kind of just i just be basically i feel like unless you've experienced it you're kind of like oh what is this woo-woo shit that everyone's talking about. Yeah, but like, what could you... I know what you mean. I, I, um... There's just something about it. Yeah, I spent five days solo backpacking in Kauai doing the Nepali coastline, and I, ta I talked to... I, I was actually, like, getting really anxious about it. Like, I thought I was going to be super bored. So I downloaded all these books <laughs> onto my Kindle. I had audiobooks. I had podcast songs downloaded onto my phone. But then I remember I had this... Um, I, like, caught up with a friend... Victoria, who was just telling me about her, like, she just went on a 10-day silent meditation retreat. This was, like, a day or two before I flew out there. And she was like, yeah, one day I just was staring at the ceiling and I had no thoughts. And I was just like, what is that? What does that even mean? So then, like, I yeah. just decided on day one of this five-day trip, I would at least try to not start with any of that, like, content stuff. And I just ran with it for the entire time by myself. It's hard to describe. I think you just... It's kind of like what you said, you just, yeah. just kind of like sit there and it's, it's just really like peaceful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you definitely have moments where you replay things and you're like, you come up with these, com like that one meme, it's like, oh, you're in the shower and you think of a comeback that you, you had for an argument <laughs> you had like <laughs> years ago or whatever. You definitely have those moments. But then, yeah, you also have moments where it's just very peaceful and you just like sort through your thoughts. You come back feeling very refreshed. And, and then sometimes you you do come back and you're like excited to talk to people. I did go on a through hike in the Dolomites on my own for like seven days. And then I came back and went to Venice um, to transfer and catch my plane. But being in the crowds in Venice after being like in, in the wilderness by myself for seven days, it was super overwhelming. <laughs> um, so you definitely have moments like that. But then you also have moments where you're like excited to talk to someone finally because you've been in your own head for so long. I wrote a note about what gives me energy and what saps away energy and like nature is oh, wow. one of the number one things that like return energy, but then like what saps away energy is just like very artificial things. Like if I ever find myself walking through Times Square for too long, that definitely saps away. I mean, just thinking about you being in Times Square, I feel like I'm getting the energy sucked out of me. <laughs> yeah. I would definitely also add that I'm very like introverted. So I think that's why I'm able to do stuff like this and be okay. 
I would say if someone's extroverted, they might not enjoy it as much. They, they might need people to be with them. <laughs> Abe, you have a question? <laughs> okay, I'll go. I wanted to talk about risk and like your risk appetite. The way I think about it nowadays is I'm getting better at skiing. You typically have more fun when you're operating this zone that's like challenging you. You're, it's not like guaranteed that you can just rip through the run. You might fall, blah, blah, like, but then when you get more advanced, the risks also rise. Um, like if you, you know, I'm skiing in like no fall zones, but also like so with solo hiking, um, that's also a different type of risk, mainly with weather. So yeah. as you like get more advanced in sports and you're doing more, how do you think about risk and setting like guardrails for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because, you know, I was on this like high of exploring trails and like seeing all these mountains I could climb. And there was one particular mountain, um, Mount Hood, a few years ago mm. where I was still like this like super, not obnoxious, but I was just like on this high of being, being able to like climb mountains. Then I go and climb Mount Hood. The conditions were terrible. Like you couldn't see 10 feet ahead of you because it was just like white out conditions. And we did get in a very sticky situation. And luckily we were smart enough to turn around. But ever since that trip, I just keep thinking like, no, the mountains aren't a joke. Like you can't just go and think like just because you're strong enough to climb it or whatever like you'll survive there's definitely a lot of risks involved and you have to be aware of those um so to your point yeah i definitely think as you build like this resume of things that you've done you start to kind of get into riskier situations take on bigger risks and i think it's just being aware of them and also educating yourself like i've taken avalanche courses I would love to take some more um, like first aid courses just in case I ever um, get myself in a sticky situation, but taking the time to learn what to do in those risks. Cause even if you never are in a life or death situation, like knowing what to do is so important when that time does come, if it does come at all, like you don't have time to like pull out your phone and research what to do, like being aware and, and um, educating yourself ahead of time um, definitely helps. Are there certain like ceilings that you set for yourself? Cause you're like, you know, uh, it would be fun, but the risk is too, too much. I would never say never just because mm. I remember an exact moment when I was at the gym and there was this guy running on the treadmill and we were talking about running and he was training for a hundred mile race. And I was just like, wow, that's so amazing. You know, I can't believe someone would run a hundred miles. Like for me, I was training for a 10 K at the time, which is 6.2 miles. Um, and I said to him, I was like, I don't think I'll ever run more than a marathon. But now it's like, if you were to tell me to run a marathon this weekend, like I could go do it. I'd probably be like super sore the next day, but, um, I could do it. And, um, I just think that at that time, I just, I genuinely thought I would never run more than 26.2 miles. It's all relative and just building mm -hmm. yourself up to that, to answer your question. I'd never say never, but there are definitely things where I'm just like, oh, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm mentally ready for that. I literally never say this, but I feel like you're such a tough person, like mentally, physically. And it, I never heard the story about you, you know, training for your 10K, thinking you would never be able to run a marathon before. Now I just know you as Michelle, who's done a bunch of spectacular races. At what point did you make up your mind to sign up for that 10K and the next one and the next one after that? I, I mean, I love that you brought that up because I think one of the big things is when, when people come up to me and say something like that, I'm just like, I'm just like every, every other person, you know, like I'm not anyone, I'm not a, like a pro athlete or anything like that. It's just, you, you build up to that and you can do, if I can do it, like you can do it too, you know? Um, 
And I tell people that who are like, wow, I can't believe you're training for a hundred mile. And I'm like, honestly, there was a point in my life where I didn't think I would run more than 26 miles ever. Going back to your question, um, I definitely enjoy running. I ran cross country in, in high school. Um, but after high school, it was more just a way to like stay fit. It's just running. It wasn't any like big thing for me. But I slowly started to like sign up for races in San Francisco and then ultimately setting a marathon as my goal. And I started running marathons and really enjoying it, enjoying, enjoying it as a reason to also travel. So I ran like LA marathon, Chicago, New York. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to set a goal of having Boston be my like final marathon. Cause it was, it was killing my knees, like training on pavement and training for marathons really like I would, my knees would be burning. And so I was like, Hey, after the Boston marathon, I'm done. Um, and so I trained really hard, qualified and, and ran Boston. And then Amazing. after that, I was like, Oh, I don't want to stop running. <laughs> um, and I had a friend who was like, you should get into trail running. Like it's way, you know, like softer on your body. It doesn't hurt. I was like, that's impossible. You know, like I'm, I'm a clumsy person. And if you put me on a trail, I'm going to trip on roots. So I don't need that. But he took me on a trail run and it was actually very fun and, and beautiful because I loved hiking and, um, being outdoors. And now I could combine my love for running with the trail as well. Um, so I started getting into trail running, um, and then signed up for a race in, um, uh, a 50 K in Oregon and just wow. loved it. Um, yeah. So a after that I got into trail running, um, and then I just kept setting like higher and higher goals. Um, I like to joke though, that I love food and the more I eat, the more I'm like, okay, I need to like run this off, you know, and slowly started to build the mileage on there as well. So my latest kind of objective is running that hundred mile race. After this, I can um, introduce you to my friend who's ran multiple hundred mile races, and he also has had two near death experiences. Um, so oh, he might yeah. actually come on the pod. I wanted to ask like a bit of an open ended question, give you an opportunity to flex. Um, if you can think about your <laughs> just top adventures and not necessarily measured by like fans or just like how how tough it is, but just purely measured on Stoke, what are like the one one two or three adventures that come to mind on your i don't know what to call it like adventure resume i would say some like standout ones was um mount whitney the first time i climbed mount whitney that's that's always been a special place for me but um i was supposed to go with this guy i was dating at the time and we were definitely hitting a rough patch and like last minute he was like i'm like i'm not going and i really wanted to go i had gotten permits and like mm. like this is like a, a goal for me so i just like went and um, definitely was underprepared, um, uh, cause I did an overnight trip, like packed whatever I had. It was my first big, like it was in October. So, um, very cold and was very underprepared and thought that that was probably going to be where I, I died because, um, I didn't bring a sleeping pad. I just had my sleeping bag, a tent, um, and it definitely got into the teens that night, but I like survived and I came out of it immediately went online searching for sleeping pads, but, um, it was this huge learning experience for me. And, but it was like, Hey, I still did it. Like I didn't rely on like a partner or someone I need, um, had plans to go and do this with. Like I went and did it myself, um, came back and had learnings and applied them to future trips. And so Mount Whitney has definitely been a very special one for me. And I love going back there and just like, it's a beautiful trail every time I go back. Another one I love and always think back on is the, the trek through the Dolomites out of all the places I've been, the Italian Dolomites is probably the most beautiful mm. place. Um, I did run a 110 kilometer race in Whistler, uh, British Columbia a few years ago. And Ooh. I think that one stood out for me because 
I had trained for it. And at mile nine, we were, I was like sprinting downhill and I sprained my ankle. And oh. the whole time I was like, oh my God, like, does that mean I have to stop? Like I, I, I trained so, so much for this race. And at mile nine, I have to like call it quits. Um, and I ended up finishing it, but, I take my shoe off. Cause I knew, I knew that if, if I took it off, it'd probably swell and I wouldn't be able to put the shoe back on. But, um, yeah, I finished the race and it was just a huge mental, like a, a huge mental thing for me. It was just overcoming all the thoughts in your head of like, oh my gosh, every time you got to a, an aid station, you could call it quits, you know, like you could stop. This is your chance. Every time you sat down and like, didn't want to get up again, that was your chance to like quit. And you had, I had the perfect excuse. I sprained my ankle. I could stop, but, um, I definitely pushed through and finished the race and felt really good about it. So it was definitely wow. a memorable experience for me. That's incredible. In that vein, I, I kind of want to bring to light this other story that I read about you from from your Instagram. Actually, later, I think more recently, yeah, you tried to attempt about... a, a hundred miler race. That was one of the few races it seems like you actually didn't finish. So I'd, I'd love to hear about <laughs> your journey in that race, what happened, and what it taught you. Yeah, um, that one was this past September. It was that same race but the hundred mile distance, because I loved it so much when I sprained my ankle that I wanted to come back and do the hundred mile version of it. Um, but it was beautiful because it's in like the Canadian Rockies and it's just, it's stunning. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't finish. I stopped at mile, um, 70 and it was because I had like really bad, um, uh, digestive issues where my body wasn't taking in any food or water, um, and I tried resting. It was, it took me a while to mentally recover from it. And that's why I keep saying it's like, it's such a mental sport. Like, I don't even think about the physical part of it. It's more of just like something, all the thoughts that go through your head. Um, I definitely started feeling like the illness around mile 50 and just kept thinking, okay, like, just keep pushing yourself. You can get through this. I mean, going into that race, I had, um, some like mental pep talks with friends and they were like, okay, like what, what would it take for you to not finish the race? And I'm like, I would literally have to be like super injured and they had to like force me to quit this race because I'm ready for it. I'm going to do it. Um, but no, like this was my decision. And it was like, you always think back on and you wonder like, what if I had just kept pushing? Like, could I have kept pushing? But I started feeling sick around mile 50, couldn't take down any food and then tried to like rest a little bit, try to drink some water, but it would just like come right up. Um, and later I read about it and it's like, it's basically when you put your, uh, body through so much physical stress that your like, um, digestive system stops working. Um, so it was probably, it's probably good that I stopped, but yeah, it was right before we were going to climb Whistler and Blackcomb again, and you're going to be in running in the night. And I was relatively on my own. So I was just worried that not having food, not having water, if something happens to me while going uphill, um, probably would be very dangerous. And so that's when I decided to pull the plug and it was definitely really sad. I had some friends there, um, who were trying to like assess, like, should we keep pushing her or should we like accept <laughs> the fact that she's going to quit? Um, but it was definitely very emotional. Um, and it took me a few weeks to like really mentally recover from it. Um, but I'm, I think the best, I, it only made me stronger mentally. Like now I can go back and, and like, be a stronger runner you know like I learned like what my body needs like I think what I was trying to do was um it was right I think around mile 50 was like at nighttime and I was basically trying to stay awake and so I was drinking a ton, ton of caffeine not eating solids it was just like a, a 
perfect storm of not, not eating the right way. So um, next time I'll, I'll have these learnings. Super impressive regardless. And after doing triathlons, I know digestion in your stomach is something that's so hard to control. I remember sometimes yeah. getting onto the run and it just feels like your stomach is feeling some upset sort of way from miles. It's like a and knot. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's like I mean, you, you're mentally like you want to push yourself physically. Your 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 feet are moving, but it's like your your this knot in your stomach is just it's not allowing you to digest food. And it's not like you're just chilling. Like you're about to put your body through some extreme like calorie deficient. And and so yeah, it's just there's nothing you can really do about it once it happens. This is the stuff that a lot of people who don't do endurance races don't realize, but. I'm sure you've already dialed in a lot of your routine for this hundred mile race. That's going to take span multiple hours. Could you share a little bit, I guess, about your plan coming into this for your nutrition, for your drinking water, for your rest, rest stops and how you like, at least ideally plan that to go for the race? Yeah. Um, I was definitely like, I had a plan for like how many calories I wanted to consume per an hour, um, how much salt to take in. And then like doing training runs with that nutrition plan, making sure you're eating, even if you're not hungry. Cause I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned is just, even if you're not hungry, your body needs to have those calories. And once you start feeling hungry, it's too late to kind of recover from that. And for me, it's like little nibs, little nibbles here and there, like not a full meal. I definitely have done training runs where you get to an aid station and you're just so hungry. So you eat a burrito <laughs> or something and then it just does not sit well in your stomach. Um, yeah, so just like little nibbles here and there. Yeah. Let's say you're yeah. talking to someone that's like not really into this this type of lifestyle. Maybe they're not even, they never grew up around sports. And I don't know, they're just like an average Joe. And you're telling them like, yeah, I attempt, I, I attempt 100 mile races. I just like go and send things all the time. And then they just ask you like, why? Like, why do you do it? Why don't you just chill like the rest <laughs> of us? How do, how do you, how do you even like think about addressing that question i think i get that question a lot actually it's not like anything i think that everyone needs to do i just think that that's what i enjoy doing myself like i my mom joined me in one of my trail races recently for the first time and she just watched it was a really hard trail race um out in utah where you start at ten thousand and then you go up and down to twelve thousand. so you deal with the altitude mm -hmm. too and you could just tell everyone crossing the finish line was just in the most miserable state ever. And my mom watched all those runners come through. And when I came through, she was like, why do you do this? Stop doing it to yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's just like, it's just fun to put your body through those challenging adventures and then coming out on the other side, feeling like a, like a stronger person, you know, like that's, that's my why. It's just seeing how hard you can push yourself um, both physically and mentally. Um, and also just like knowing how to deal with yourself when you're suffering, I think is a huge thing for me. Um, so that when you do have hard times, you can like pull upon the strength from all these different, um, adventures and, and get through those moments. To an average viewer in the same way as like, why would you do it? It's like, how do you do it? Like, hey, I run races over here. I go over here on the weekends. And by the way, I still work a great job. And where do you find the time in, in 24 hours to get all this stuff done? 
I would definitely say my laundry pile gets really big. <laughs> like where, like, like we talked about earlier, like everyone has the same 24 hours in the day and maybe I'll spend it on the road or on, on the trail and less doing chores. So that, that definitely stacks up. But it's also why like living in a van has been great because then you have, you just have less, less chores because you're in such a small space. Even before the pandemic, when we had the ability to work remote, like Friday afternoon after work, I'd be on the road driving to the trailhead. And then Monday morning, I'd be back at work again. It was just utilizing every little minute of free time. Um, I definitely spent a lot of weekends in college, just Netflix and chilling. And I always look back to that and think, oh my gosh, there could have been so many like weekend adventures I could have done. But instead I was binge watching like Desperate Housewives or something. Um, (laughs) So it's just... It's just like where you put your time. It's also why I enjoy the solo stuff is because it's so hard to coordinate that, right? It's like, as soon as you're off work, I want to be on the road and driving to the trailhead. Whereas um, if you're going to coordinate that with a huge group, it's a little bit more difficult. On the topic of just time and time management, I read this book by this guy, Oliver Berkman. His book is called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And he has a different take on it. And there's a chapter called The Loneliness of the Digital Nomad. And I, I was like listening to this audiobook while I was kind of traveling. So it definitely hit home for me. And he has this quote. He says, the digital nomads lifestyle lacks the shared rhythms required for deep relationships to take root. But I'm just wondering, how do you think about maintaining deep relationships when you're not always around the people that you care about? Yeah, that is definitely one of the harder things. Um Man, that's deep. <laughs> Sorry, I should have uh, should have warned you. <laughs> yeah, that's a deep. It is definitely hard, but then it also like when you meet someone who's also as like I, I'm adventurous as you are, like you, then you you automatically skip through a bunch of that initial like relationship building and stuff, and you you connect right away. Like I've met some really awesome people through social media or through like being at trailheads who are also into the same thing. Um, and so I think you still find ways to build those deep relationships. You just find like-minded individuals who live similar lifestyles. Yeah, that that's a deep one. Cause I've definitely had <laughs> issues. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even with like my parents too, like sometimes I just would feel guilty for not going home because I really wanted to get out on this mountain or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely something you'd have to deal with as someone on the road. My mom always likes to remind me that this is like my playing phase. And she's always like, are you done playing? Like it's time to like settle down and and like live your life now. And I'm like, I am living my life. This is my life. One of my biggest fears is getting old and not being able to do this anymore. So it's a huge part of my life. And I don't plan to stop anytime soon because I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's what defines me. It's getting after what I love doing. I mean, knock on wood, but like, I feel like I, ha- I don't, I think getting sunshine and get, being active, like, is the best thing you can do for your immune system. Yeah, I haven't gotten sick for a long time. So knock on wood, <laughs> knock on wood I don't. Yeah. Um, as long as you keep moving, you don't have to go and climb a mountain, you don't have to run 100 miles, like as long as you're outside, and you're moving, like, that's the best thing you can do for your body. I know people are like, I mean, me, myself, too, is just, like, so, like, big on, like, reading nutrition labels or, like, being worried about this or whatever. But it's, like, the one thing you can do easily without having to worry about all of that is just staying staying active and being outside. It's, like, the easiest thing you can do. Yeah, I resonate sure. with that so much. The more 
healthy and the more fit you get, the more attuned you come to your own body. I think a lot of people out there don't even recognize that they are feeling not 100% because they've never really felt like what it could be to unlock better health. And, you know, that's something I've had to like reckon with a little bit from going to training a lot to like ramping down the volume. I I had to really focus in on health again, get back to consistent exercise, doing some cardio to, to really get back to it. I think what you're saying there will help a lot of people too. Okay, so it is December 14th, right? We're approaching the end of the year. This is kind of like when everyone does their whole reflection. What are some of the big things that you're looking forward to next year? Um, I definitely have a, a big objective coming up, which is um, the Hout route. It's basically a, a multi-day trek from Chamonix to Zermatt in Switzerland. Um, and so a few of my friends and I are going to ski it um, hut to hut over the course of six to seven days. That's where the focus of my training will be is like getting strong. I would love to sign up for a race, but I'm not like, I don't have to sign up for a race. It's more of like, if I have an objective and like something to train for, like that's, that's all I need to like really drive me. And I, um, it doesn't need to be a race. And that's one thing I realized was I don't need to spend hundreds of dollars signing up for a race when I can go and just like find the trail that I want to go run and just train for that. My biggest objective right now is training for that giant ski trek. Um, and then ideally I would love to do a hundred miles again. Yeah. That's mm. definitely on my list. Cause I would love to go back and try to get that belt buckle buckle again. Mm. Huge. <laughs> I wanted to ask the deep ones first. <laughs> um, yeah, those are okay. pretty deep. <laughs> These ones are more chill. These ones are more chill. Um, I found a set of backcountry skis on Craigslist, just pulled the trigger cause it was a good price. For me and for, I guess, other people interested in backcountry, what what advice do you have? Um, there's a lot of good books out there for certain mountain ranges where they'll recommend like the the um, easier ski tracks that you could do. I would just definitely go for like low angle stuff and just, just get out there. I think find some friends, get out there, practice. It doesn't have to be like crazy awesome descents or anything. For me, it's like I don't need to go to the aggressive trails just yet. I want to get as much time on the skis as possible and like – even when the weather is bad and you and uh, the avalanche risk is high, just go to a resort and skin uphill and then just get time on skis. It's the same thing as like training for ultra marathons. Like you don't have to go do these crazy um, uh, training runs, just spend hours and hours on the skis on your, on your feet, teach that muscle memory into your body. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I did try to do that. I skinned up uphill in April at diamond peak in Tahoe and, it was definitely good practice because I tried to skin up an icy black, which is like steep and not very <laughs> grippy. And then I fell and then your, your, yeah. your boots aren't actually clipped in. And then it was April. So it was hot. So then I had my, like my ski jacket unzipped <laughs> and then I just like basically slid on my belly, but then it was just a t-shirt on the front. And so my like whole oh, bare, no. <laughs> my whole bare torso was just sliding down the ice had a bunch of rash, but, uh, it's a good lesson to learn inbounds. Yeah. Uh, that and, sounds really painful. So for, yeah. for everyone like me who doesn't understand what skin means besides falling down and skinning yourself on the mountain, uh, what does it mean to skin uphill on skis? Like you literally have this like sandpaper thing that you put on the bottom of the skis. So in order to be able to go up, you have to have like this fuzzy sandpaper thing with very specific lined hairs and they just let oh. you get grip as you go uphill. And so you take that off when you get to the yeah. top to ski back down? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, so they stick on to the bottom of your skis, and they're like little quills um, that are basically traction devices as you go upwards. Yeah. 
it reminds me of this one time I went uh, skinning up. So it's called skinning, but I went skinning uphill at a resort and someone on the lift yells down and is like, are you just too poor to pay for a lift ticket? (laughs) (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) Well, it's actually our pleasure to have you on this podcast. Uh, It's so fun hearing about your stories. I hope you launch a book or a documentary at some point to (laughs) detail all these stories and adventures. I think a lot of people will love to read it. In closing, is there anything you'd like to say for your average viewer uh, about either your experiences or anything they could take away from the stuff you've learned out in the wilderness and the outdoors? No, thanks for having me. I think the biggest message I want to send out to everyone is just that, I mean, if I can do it, you can do it. Like, you should just never set limits for yourself because of something you believe or an assumption you have of of uh whatever the the sport or activity is like i think that if you put your heart to it and you're passionate about it you can definitely do it um and i've definitely learned in so many different situations where i've said like oh never that's not going to happen and you can make it happen um so just don't limit yourself if you enjoyed that episode please like and subscribe we're just getting started to tell the stories of these amazing creators athletes and entrepreneurs Drop a comment below on what was your favorite part of this episode and stay tuned because we're going to be releasing new episodes every two weeks for On The Rise. See you next time.